Good evening, everyone. Jonathan Walsh here. Welcome to round 14 of Don the Stat. Um, it's good to be back doing this live on on Twitter and um, to make a change from a couple of weeks ago, I have remembered to hit the record button, so we should be able to get this up and live on the podcast a lot earlier. As always, I'm joined by my trusty co-host who has had his first haircut, which I appreciate none of you can see. Uh, in about four years, uh, Humi, welcome, mate. Um, interesting decision to to go the short haircut in the middle of winter. Yes, well, I, I sort of regretted it as I walked out of the barber shop and, and felt the cold uh, go through my ears. So uh, it was, you know, a bit of a challenge. But also, my my son uh, did ask me where my hat had gone when he first <laughs> saw me with with the with the lack of hair. So that was a, that was worth it just for that. I think. Yeah, very cute, mate. Very cute. Uh, how's the week been, mate? Uh, look good. I think I I feel I feel a lot more positive about the last couple of weeks of Essendon than I'm seeing a lot in the community. Uh, I think we can go into a bit of that when we review the Carlton game. How are you feeling? Yeah, a bit the same. I, I don't. I think like a lot of things this year, it's not as doom and gloom as as maybe it seems. Obviously, would have been nice to be winning more games, um, but. You know we're we're on a development journey, aren't we? So I think there's some elements of the game that are definitely improving that that need to in order for us to be able to, you know, at some stage in the coming years push into the top four and and be winning finals. So um, so yeah, I think there's some things that that um, yeah, a lot of things to work on, but there's some things that are getting a lot better that are going to hold us in good stead, I think, um, going forward in the years to come. Absolutely. So let's get into let's get into reviewing the Carlton match and, and give it its overview. And what we do is we go through what we thought we needed to do to beat Carlton and whether how successful we were at that. So let's start with contested ball and clearances. So we identified that the Carlton are one of the best sides at, at reading opposition taps and, and they had the, one of the better uh, clearance to to ruck hit out ratios, which suggests that they're really good at sharking the opposition. And we we wanted to try and limit them to one clearance per hit out to try and prevent them from getting that clearance dominance. Uh, we didn't do that. They, they went at their season average for, for that. But there were a few other points regarding the clearance and, and the contested ball that you pointed out. Do you just want to sort of explore those? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I thought generally it was reasonably good, wasn't it? Like we, we sort of broke even, didn't we? we? We weren't able to get ascendancy there, which we ultimately, I, I, I think we both felt we needed to do to, to win the game. Um, but clearances overall, we were down by three. And I think contested ball, we we went down by not many. It was, you know, a handful, um, if that. So I think, again, when we're looking for, for trends and improvement within the side from where we were, keeping in mind also that, that last year we were the 13th ranked team for contested possession differential. So I know a lot of us like to compare... Um, 2001, sorry, 2021 to 2022, and where did it all go wrong? Contested ball was one area that we were poor at last year as well. So we are seeing some improvement there, which is um, which has been good to see. We just weren't able to get ascendancy in order to um, to really hurt Carlton um, in that area. So yeah, a, probably a pass from me. Yeah, and something else you pointed out was that De Koenig was gettable around the ground a bit, and I think one of the things that we did see was Draper you know, really coming into his own with, with his contested. It seems like he remembered how to how to contested mark and he was able to do that. Now, how much of that was on De Koenig or how much of that was when uh, Phillips was, you know, the, the main ruck on De Koenig, it's, it's hard to tell. But, you know, if he if he's able to perform like that, that's a really big advantage for us against opposition ruckmen, which is going to be important coming up against two quality ruckmen this week. Yeah, he just looks more uh, confident in the air, doesn't he? Um, so... Yeah, I, I I've liked that part of his game. It, it certainly seems like it's something that he's he's been working on and, and is starting to get some benefit from. Definitely. And so the next point was to be close in the first half. We identified that Carlton a really good first half side and, and not as good in the second half, and it actually did play out that way. And we had plenty of opportunities in that second half. I think if you if you looked at the game after the first five minutes of the third quarter, you know we probably dominated that that part of the game from then on but just that lack of lack of uh, skill and, and lack of consistency in, in moving the ball forward and finding 
targets in goal kicking positions is probably what cost us the opportunity to press for a win there. Yeah, absolutely. I think with the kick one goal after the sort of five-minute mark of the third quarter. So we were able to keep scores really tight. We just, what did we kick? Two goals, eight, I think, um, in the second half. Something, something like, that, like yeah. that, So, yeah, and, and had, you know, was it nine of the last 10 scoring shots or eight of the last 10. So, yeah, I think, um, I think you know, your comment was right. We just weren't quite close enough and then we weren't quite good enough to be able to, to get across the line. Yeah, and so that sort of that sort of feeds into the next point, which was about you know transition. And we pointed out that Carlton can be exposed on transition, and you, you can get the ball into their forward fifty quickly. They're not a strong defensive side, uh, as I, I sort of made the comparison to Essendon last year, sort of similar, conceding a similar amount of points to Essendon last year, where teams could, teams could get them on the on the other end. And I think you know one of the one of the points was about getting getting the ball inside 50 and getting marks inside 50. And we didn't quite get there. So we only took one mark per six and a half inside 50s. And that was compared to one for every four in Carlton. So again, if we could have matched, you know, Carlton in that stat, again, it's something that's a bit closer. And there were numerous opportunities where players could have taken marks, uh, you know, right at the top of the goal square a couple of times. Stringer, obviously, obviously rusty, but there were, there were marks that he would have taken in a, you know, in last year's last year stringer would have taken those marks. So, you know, again, created the I think we created enough opportunities. It's just a matter of that consistency and that confidence in, in players that they can execute the skills that they need to. Yeah, I I think there's three things for me on this one, mate. That we we had one less scoring shot, so we didn't convert enough of the opportunities into goals that that we created. So that that was the first one. Um, the second one was that we dropped some marks. So, you know, I think Hobbs and Martin dropped marks inside 50. Young guys, you forgive them. Peter Wright, I'm pretty sure, dropped two. Um, one in the last quarter in the goal square, like or on the edge of the goal square, where you just knew he would go back and kick it. And Stringer, I think, dropped two. You know, Rusty or not, he's, um, you know, he's one of our best players and you just expect him to mark it. So, you know, we missed out on five scoring opportunities there just through drop marks, albeit the Hobbs one in particular would have taken, you know, he would have been kicking probably from outside 50. But so so does that. And then I just, there were isolated incidences where we did get the ball, you know, fast back through the, the corridor, but they were, they were really few and far between. So whether it was confidence, whether it was coaching instructions, I'm not really sure, but um, or, or just maybe skill and capability at the moment with who we had in the side. We just didn't really challenge them often enough and, and make them feel vulnerable and put them under enough pressure. So, so yeah, a bit of a failing, I think, in that area. Absolutely. And then, you know, that that's compounded. <clears throat> pardon me. That's compounded when you you have the their halfbacks, Asad and, and Doherty, when you're not locking the ball in, either by marking or, or by tackling, and, and they're able to create intercepts and, and then push the ball forward. Now, we actually lowered their their combined average for the season. So they were going at 14 intercepts per game between them, and they only went at 11 this game. But and we thought we might be able to get them with weedering out, but uh, Lewis Young sort of jumped up. You know, we, we talk about, you know, uh, un, unheralded small forwards getting us well, and unheralded backmen got us this week in Lewis Young with, with 14 intercepts. So again... You know, that sort of all sorts of compounds together and, and sort of builds on each other. Yeah, I mean, Lewis Young's had a, a decent season, hasn't he? I, you, you wonder why the dogs let him go. But, yeah, you know, let, let's face it, he's not, you know, he's not Glenn Djakovic um, and we let him play like he was. So so that was a bit disappointing. Um, but, yeah, I think more importantly, the Sardin Doherty one, they, they were just able to, to get way too much run uh, get up and down the ground without any real pressure on them, and and did a lot of damage. So uh, yeah, big fail on that one. But I think we're gonna we'll chat a, a little bit more about that because we had a bit of a question about it. So um, so yeah, we'll probably leave that one there. I think. Yeah, and I think just before we move on from the Carlton game, you did your review uh, on Twitter this week for the first time in a couple of weeks, which a lot of people appreciated. So thanks for thanks for taking the time to do that because I think it really gives people a really good insight. You know, looking beyond just the emotional response to it and, and giving it a real analytical look. Uh, but one of the things that you you addressed was also addressed on Footy Classified last night, looking at the first Carlton goal, where, sorry, uh, 
where Walsh was running running free and, and managed to get the ball forward, and that that's what ended how the ball ended up with Martin. And there was a lot of uh, from from Lyon and on Classified about Parish uh, Parish's effort in that in that contest. And you you had a point you wanted to make about that, you know. And it it seems to be from you know you don't want to you don't want to say you know an experienced coach like that has, has <laughs> you know made a mistake, but your your belief is that he's not really seeing the true picture there. Yeah, um, I don't want to pretend that I know more about football than Ross Lyon, but um, I don't think he's done his homework on this. I, I think the Essendon can't defend transition thing um, has come up a lot, and and it's it's an easy um, it's an easy one to be sensationalised now. It's just become a thing that the media like to run with, and I think fairly so for a lot of the year, unfairly so for for what happened against against Carlton, and in particular that situation because. Really what happened in this one was Walsh started at half forward and, and the grab that they showed on footy classified made it look like Walsh started in the midfield next to Darcy Parrish and that wasn't what happened at all. Um, Walsh started at centre half forward. Redmond was his opponent. Walsh has ran up as the extra midfield. The ball's gone inside our 50. Um, those who might remember the play, Guelphie charged in off our, our edge of the square and, and won a free kick for too high, kicked the ball inside 50 and, and Cripps was the one who got a kick out and... Um, ball got to Walsh and he ran it out and went the length of the ground to uh, eventually to, to Jack Martin, who was on his own and kicked goal. Um, but yeah, Parrish caught some criticism, but Parrish's man was Chera. Uh, Parrish tracked Chera through the corridor. He stayed ball side of him, did everything that you would expect and want a midfielder to do in terms of making sure that, that his opponent and the opposition midfielders don't get involved in link-up play through the midfield. What didn't happen though was no one went to to Walsh as he ran his way and was able to create overlaps the whole length of the field. Now, whether that was instruction for Redmond to sit back, I don't know, but he certainly didn't move himself into a position where he could he could get involved and he could defend. At, at the very least, you would expect him to roll back and pick up um, uh, Martin or somebody else. Uh, so what ended up happening, the cascading effect was um, Kelly, who started on um, on Martin had to cover Ridley's man because Ridley's man had to, uh, Ridley had to go and cover Laverde's man because Laverde had to try and come up and, and and put pressure on the ball carrier and there was just this cascading down the field. So, look, I, I just think it was really lazy the way they showed it. They they made um, they made Parish out to be the bad guy, and I, I think that was um, that was really unfair. And uh, yeah, I think just implore people before you get caught up in some of this the sensationalism that that some of the media outlets like to run with maybe just watch things yourself if you got the opportunity to and and make your mind up don't you know don't take my word for it don't take ross Lyons' word for it um go back and have a look it's the very first bounce of the game and and see what you think for yourself and um and yeah let me know what you think absolutely it's one of the things for the media you know they they find something to, to put the boot in and once one person's identified it you know, they all they all sort of pile in there. You know, three or four weeks ago was how we weren't tough enough and, and tackling enough, and now that they've they've actually addressed that, apparently that's not good enough as well. You know, there's there's clicks there's clicks in teams being bad or being perceived to be bad, and I think that sort of happens a lot. But they just they all sort of pile in on that sense, and they don't really look deep enough into what is actually is actually happening there. Yeah, and that leads into, you know, one of the, the things in the, the news at the moment um, that we're going to touch on and, and Rutten's comments on Jake Stringer. Um, you know, so the criticism of, of Essendon was that our standards aren't high enough. We're not asking enough of our senior players, et cetera, et cetera. Rutten gets asked how we, you know, did Jake Stringer have a poor game? And, and he says, yes, he did. And we expect more of a leader. And he's criticised for how he speaks about his players, um, you know, and they can't win. And then... I, I don't normally watch press conferences, but I watched the one today, and um, and he got asked you know three or four questions over and over and over again about it. So um, yeah, I think sometimes um, you know an agenda likes to get um, put up and and people run with it, and and often it's um, yeah it's far removed from what's really happening. So yeah, it's um, crazy world, mate. Yeah, there probably is a fair question to ask about whether Stringer was right to come back. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. Like he, he there have been games where he has come back after an injury, and he's he's done really well. There's obviously games like Carlton where he's come back from an, an injury, and he and he's barely been a spectator. So it's it's a tough one when you've got such little experience. You want to get that experience back into the side. 
but you also don't want it to compromise the other things that you're doing. So it's a, it's a hard decision to make and I'm glad I'm not the one who has to make it week on week. Yeah, you and me both, mate. Absolutely. Well, on to, on to better news, I guess. When, obviously, before the game was the, the big 150th celebration and everything around that. Uh, you know, So obviously, there was the events before the game and, and the events at Fed Square and then on the ground. I think everyone's still on a high with Herdy's entrance to the ground. And, you know, for all the criticism Dyson Heppel gets, uh, one thing you can't criticise him for is his passion for the club. And that really came out uh, with his speech to not only the players, but the the past players as well. It's universal praise uh, from all the past players who have spoken about that. You know, even someone like Lloyd, who's been critical of Heppel, you know, couldn't couldn't speak higher of of the way he spoke to the players. And it really, really shows, you know, that as- that aspect of leadership, it's not it's not all that's required to be a leader, but you know, the the inspirational aspects of being a leader, he seems to have down pat. So, you know, I think the criti- critics can suck at it sometimes when it comes to Heppel. <laughs> um, but it was even just you know seeing seeing the pictures of the the event the night after, and you know just seeing all the the faces and hearing the story. Uh, the story. The best story I heard was um, uh, at the VFL the day after the Carlton game, where uh, Dustin Fletcher was on the boundary. And then uh, gets a big hug from behind, turns around, and it's Dean Rioli, your your favourite. So you know, just like those stories of, of players catching up after maybe after you know ten, twenty years. You know, again, we talked a bit about this before, but it's the sort of things that that make the club special and makes a club like Essendon special. Yeah, I I was really gutted, mate. As as you know, I I had COVID last week, and it was my first day out of ISO, but I was still feeling a bit under the weather, and, and certainly didn't want to uh, put myself in a situation where I made other people sick. So I uh, couldn't get to the game and couldn't get to the the event on the Saturday night either. But, um, uh, you know, putting aside some of the hoo-ha around ticket prices and all of that kind of stuff, I think the club handled it with a lot of class and um, and really did a great job to, to celebrate the history. I think, you know, there was some feedback that, you know, perhaps we didn't, um, showcase the the team of the, the particularly the sixty five premiership team and and maybe some of the um, you know the our history prior to that as well which was which was fair enough um, there, there was a little bit of recency about it but uh, all in all yeah Briggs was incredible um, I thought he he was a I guess a bit of a left field choice uh, I know he's a big Bombers supporter but um, but yeah he he did such a great job and. Um, yeah, I, I got really emotional uh, watching it, mate. There were there were a number of times where I really lost it. Um, so yeah, no, I, I thought it was brilliant and and really enjoyed it. And um, you know, on one ha- on one side, it's a bit of a shame that the on field performances aren't befitting of of that level of celebration. But um, uh, to another extent, too, it's a welcome distraction for from what's happening on field as well. So, um, but yeah, and. And speaking of um, on field, mate, we've got we do have some good news with our, our VFL women's team are through to week two of the finals, so they've got a um, a double chance, don't they, in the in the second semi? So a win and they're through to the granny, and if they lose, they uh, they'll get a double chance in the prelim. Is that right? That that's how the the system works. It's a bit of a convoluted system, but you know if it gives us an extra chance to make the grand final. Although the way they're playing, I don't think they they're going to need it. They they poly, they polish off the the second place team pretty comfortably uh, in Hawthorne. And that, that sort of, you saw some of the vision of that and that was, uh, you know, some eighties Hawthorne stuff with some of the, some of the argy bargies getting on there, but, you know, going into a NAFLW season in a couple of months, you know, to come off that off the back of a VFL premiership with, you know, there will be some players who will be crossing over to the AFLW side, you know, it sets us in good stead to, to start that competition with a bang. Yeah. It's really exciting for the club. They've done a, a yeah, a really good job with that program and, I think it's exciting to, um, yeah. I, I haven't followed AFLW because, yeah, I'm I'm an Essen fan, not necessarily a footy fan, um, but I'm looking forward to to jumping on the bad wagon once that starts. In is it October the season starts? Yeah, something something along those. I'm again not an AFLW fan, more an Essen fan, so I haven't been paying that close attention. <laughs> but once the Essen fixture gets released, you know, I'll be paying a lot more close attention to that. Yeah, spot on, mate. Absolutely. So moving on, so this is just, before we get to our audience question uh, for the week, uh, I just had a question for you because obviously with the results this year, it is challenging to be an Essendon fan and to look back on, on what the club accomplished in the second half of last year in particular and where, the, where they were going with that in terms, of, in terms of being able to be successful 
And, you know, we've talked in the last couple of weeks about how the game plan has changed. And I guess my question is sort of a devil's advocate thing, thinking about could the game plan from last year, we've talked about what that looks like in the last couple of episodes. If you, you made a few tweaks, you get a few new players, your younger players get experience. Do you, do you see that that plan could have been a premiership winning plan? What, was, what were your thoughts about that style of play as, as a premiership chance? Yeah, I, I think the short answer to that is is no. Um, and two reasons for it. We were, you know, I sort of touched on this before, we were, we were 13th in the competition last year for contested possession differential. We got some really good scores from clearance, but that was mainly through centre clearance. And let's face it, mainly because Jake Stringer was a bit of a freak in the second half of the year. So... We needed to, we need to, or needed to, and still need to address our contested possession uh, differential. The other thing is that we defended from the back um, more often than not. So we we basically invited the pressure to come on us, and and no team is winning finals or grand finals by defending that way. Um, the the teams that are are in. Uh, you know, that are, are going deep in September are teams who can lock the ball in their forward half and defend from the front half of their ground. So they were just things that we had to address. Um, and, you know, the contested possession, uh, you know, is is part attitude, part effort, and also capabilities. And, you know, we've recruited some players to, to help us address that, Perkins, Hobbs, um, Caldwell in particular, but they're going to take some time. Um, you know, noting that we've also had, you know, the likes of Langford and Stringer, et cetera, out for big parts of this season. So we, we haven't really had anyone to, to really help um, Parrish, who's one of the better ones in the, in the competition. And then, you know, we've had to start to become a, a, a forward half defensive team to, to be able to compete. And, and unfortunately what's happened in doing that is we've, We've leaked scores. We've gone from ninth in the AFL for points against to sixteenth, and and that sounds counterproductive, and it is, and I guess it is, but um, in terms of the results and outcomes, but we we just had to do it. And you know, we've spoken about this a number of times before. We've had experience come out of the side, then we've had injuries on top of that. Whilst we're also trying to adjust from last year's game plan to to give ourselves a chance to develop into a team that can um, that can that can compete in September. So, I think. Um, Short answer, mate, is no. We had to make changes. I think we're, we've made the right ones based on the on the type of football that, that the better teams are playing. We're just not at a at a level of skill, experience, or capability just yet where we're we're seeing the benefits from that. But I'm I'm based on what I've seen the last three weeks. I'm starting to to get some confidence that we'll get there. Absolutely, and I think it also talks a little bit to what we heard from Rutten after the game, which we're going to get to. So we, we, you had a question on Twitter this week from uh, Anthony uh, at Anthproc, uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter. Uh, he asked a series of questions. Uh, so we, I thought we'd go through those now because, um, again, they give us a good understanding of where, where we're currently at, the things that we are doing and the things that we need to do. So his first question was, what is plan A? And I think we've sort of, as I said, we've gone through that in the last couple of weeks where we broke down the game, the offensive and the defensive game plan. Do you have anything you want to add to that before we move on to the next bit? No, I, I get, yeah, no, not really. I think we've covered that enough. I, I won't bore people by going over it again and, and just touched on it there. I think that the main thing from last year that we've changed is is the intent to defend in our, from our forward half rather than from our back half. So I think that's the big change. And then his ne- the follow-up question was, what does plan B look like? And I think, we, well, we haven't really got to plan B at the moment because we haven't really been able to master um, plan A. I, there's been some subtle changes, I think, uh, you know, in games that, that you do see from time to time. So, you know, we spoke about the Walsh setup um, and how we just sort of let him run. Um, and after half time, we did see... Um, a, a midfielder going to him at stoppage. So rather than letting Walsh be the loose, we we adjusted to let someone like Cottrell or one of their their less damaging players. So you know that's not really game plan. It's more I guess game tactic. Um, so you you do see some things like that get tweaked and changed. But I, you know I think at the moment where um, we're really just trying to get uh, a consistent um, you know get that that plan A embedded, and I think that's the right way to go when you've got a young side. Absolutely, this, as as you said, they're struggling to 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 implement Plan A. If you start throwing other plans and that players get confused, 
you know, you you know, it's the basic keep it simple, stupid approach. You know, and it's it's obviously not a simple game plan at the moment because if it was a simple game plan, they'd be executing it. So you need, as as we sort of pointed out again a couple of weeks ago with the Melbourne situation, it can take, you know, a year to embed plan plans that will end up being successful when it becomes innate for the players to execute. And that's when yep. you can then start looking at plan Bs, whether that's a different style of play or whether that's positional changes that influence the style of play. But moving on to the next question, he's, he's asked what has changed in the last three weeks. And as, as you said, you're, you're quite uh, pleased with the trajectory of the last three weeks, even though we haven't won a game. And, and I'm similar. Uh, the, stand, the standout stat for me is, is the tackles and the effort. So the last three weeks, we've had 64 tackles on average. That's compared to 48.4 for the year. And that's a bit higher than the highest tackling side uh, of the of the year. So the Giants are averaging 61 and they're the highest tackling side. So our average for the last three weeks is higher than that. But again, that shows that the effort is there and the, the effort has come back. And then the other one that's really interesting is the tackles inside 50. So 13.6 tackles a game inside 50 compared to nine for the year. And again, that's higher. 13.6 in the inside 50 is higher than the top three sides in the, in the top side in the competition, which is Melbourne at 12.1. Now, you may you can make the argument potentially that the rainy weather of the last couple of weeks has probably assisted that. Uh, but just the fact that it, that it is so high suggests that they are adjusting it and, and are adjusting that effort there. Yeah, I mean, I've heard some criticism this week that we're tackling more because we don't have the ball. But the, the numbers and, and just observing the game don't, um, don't balance out with that. We're 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 tackling more because we're tackling more. Um, basically, um, we're we're working harder to do that, and and we're we're locking the ball in our forward half more. Um, so we're not necessarily getting more inside fifties to be able to get those inside fifty tackles. We're just locking the ball in there more. And you know, if you look at the top three in the AFL for inside fifty tackles, it's Melbourne, Carlton, Fremantle, who all sit in the top four on the ladder. So. Again, it's an adjustment to our game plan um, that we've had to make, and we're starting to see see the results. At least defensively, we're starting to see the the results on that. Um, I think that that press has come back a little bit. Um, I think we were pressing up at all costs. I think we've got a little bit more balance in it um, over the last three weeks. So we're we're not necessarily picking and choosing, but um, we're holding a better structure behind the ball. Um, particularly when, when the ball's in the sort of in our half forward line or in the middle of the ground. We're getting we are getting right up though when the ball's deep in our forward line, which which just makes sense and, and that's what we should do. Um so I, I think, think the other thing sorry. And, and you go mate. That's all right. I just think the the other thing that really impresses me about those inside fifty tackle numbers is we're doing it without, you know, our recognized any recognized small forwards really like last week. There was no one you would say, well that's a that player is there specifically as a small forward. You know, and I think if bringing bringing players like, you know, if Menzi Menzi turns out well, bringing him in and getting some other players back like a Snelling, you know, again those numbers could go even higher. Yeah, no, spot on. Everyone's everyone's doing their bit, and and that's really important in terms of defensive structures. Is that um, is that everyone does their bit, and it's not left to to too few. So yeah, spot on. And then in the last three weeks, we've conceded eighty, sixty six, and eighty points. And like you mentioned, we've had some help with the weather, but. We were averaging 102 points a game against us. Uh, so, you know, we've improved by, you know, basically four goals a game or, or a goal a quarter. So I think there's a big tick there. What we haven't been able to turn the dial on, though, is the number of inside 50s. So we've averaged pretty much right on our season average of 49 a game over the last three weeks, which is, you know, that puts us in the bottom six um, in the AFL. And if you look at the bottom six teams in the AFL for for inside 50s, they occupy the bottom six spots on the ladder. So we haven't been able to increase that number. What we were doing better earlier in the season was scoring and converting from the inside 50 chances we were getting, and that's dropped away a little bit now. Um, so over the season, we've scored at um, uh, 42% of the time that we've gone inside 50. Over the last three weeks, that's dropped to 35%. And our our goal accuracy has also dropped off. So we've gone from 47% to 38%. So, yeah, we. I guess the next step in, in that development is to be able to increase the number of inside 50s and convert more often um, when we go inside 50. Uh, and I think the other thing that's happened is that we've been getting giving more responsibility to young players. Um, 
I, I put these notes down before we, team selection came out. But, you know, Reid, despite getting omitted this week, played on Lynch, Dixon and McKay the last three weeks, which is an invaluable experience. And he's done a decent job as well. We've seen Perkins get more midfield time. Um, and then last week went head-to-head with Cripps at stoppage. So I think, yeah, I think there's definitely been some changes over the last three weeks that are that are going to take help us take a step towards becoming a better football side going forward. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to remember that progress isn't always linear. You know, they may have an off game where that drops away. That doesn't mean they've necessarily gone away from what they've been doing the last three weeks. But, you know, something to, to just keep in mind, you know, in case there is a, you know, a game where there's a blowout or something along those lines. And the final, uh, final part of Anthony's question was about lack of combating the opposition. And this is really... Uh, came around at a good time because it, it sort of matches up with what Rutten was saying in his press conference about Saad and Doherty. Now, I think if you if you think about Essendon games so far this year, the one time that you, it probably stands out that people can think of where Essendon has sent someone to, to combat a player has been McGrath and Petrarca, which was quite successful. Uh, it doesn't seem to have happened that much, but based on what Rutten said in his press conference, it actually sounds like they had a plan for Saad and Doherty but that didn't work. What were your thoughts after hearing uh, what Rutten said? Yeah, I mean, we also sent, um, I just mentioned uh, Perkins to Cripps as well. So, you know, that wasn't a run with around the ground type of situation, but it definitely seems that that Perkins was our man there to to try and combat Cripps' ability to win uh, clearance and contested ball. Um, I mean, this has been a bugbear of mine for a long time, mate. As you know, um, I spent a lot of time in my younger years um, as a, you know, doing opposition analysis and, and putting reports and information together. So um, it, it's always something that I keep an eye out when I watch us in games, you know, ever since then is how we go about stopping oppositions, you know, the way they try and play or, or their strengths. Uh, and I guess for many reasons, my whole um, sort of venture into footy analysis on Twitter started with a bit of a rant last year about our inability to stop halfback flankers. Uh, and we had a lot of close losses last year, didn't we? So, um and, you know, I, I felt that it was those kinds of players that, that were really getting to us. And, you know, it might have been the difference last year between us finishing eighth and just finishing eighth and maybe finishing fifth or sixth. But, yeah, I I was pleased, I guess, if that's the right word to hear Truck say today, that he was disappointed with how we, we went about stopping Saad and Doherty. He, he um, intimated that there was a plan. He, he didn't say what it was, <laughs> that we didn't get that right. And then he explicitly... Um, you know, mentioned that that was something that we were going to need to address um, against St Kilda. So, uh, you know, it, that at least tells me that that they're trying to do something. Um, you know, not every plan works. And again, we've got you know the likes of Hobbs and um, and Caldwell, who are, are young guys playing on our half forward line at times. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it was at least pleasing to see that there's been some acknowledgement that that we're doing things to try and take away opposition strengths. Um, and then the other thing that that stood out to me that I found really interesting was the, the Dylan Shield uh, comments post-match and not for the reason that a lot of people are saying. The bit that stood out to me was where he referenced the number of uncontested marks that Carlton had and how it was too many. And, you know, he would only know that because it's some, I would expect because, uh, you know, because I don't expect Dylan Shield sitting there pouring over stat sheets. I, I Especially would, five minutes after a game. <laughs> well, yeah, after a game or, or in the lead up to it. But that suggests to me that, that it was a focus area, that it was something that we brought up during the week and then it was something that was brought up, um, you know, in the, the mini um, debrief that the coaches would have done post-match that, that we didn't get right. So, um, so yeah, I, I liked hearing both of those comments. Um, it, it gave me a little bit of hope that, you know, we're not perfect, we're, we're not quite executing on the things that we want, but there's some plans in place. And um, yeah, I think that's half the battle. Absolutely. And big thanks to Anthony for your question. Uh, you know, it's, I hope we've answered, I hope we've answered as best as we can uh, for you and appreciate, appreciate the, appreciate the interaction. Right. So let's get on to St Kilda then. And just thinking about St Kilda memories, it's, you know, shock horror for me. I'm going back to 2009 again. I just think, you know, for an ultimately unsuccessful year, there's a lot of there's a lot of classic games in the in the 2009 season that you know stick with the memory. And that Saints game, where they were 19 wins, they were coming for our our record 20 wins in a row in the season, and they got off to a good start. And we we pegged them back and got well in front by the end of the third quarter, and then they kicked seven in a row 
only for Nick Rewalt to miss a kick after the siren to give us a three-point win. That just, again, one of those matches that just sticks in the memory for me. But you've got a bit more of a personal connection to St Kilda. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm so far gone, isn't it, mate, that, that even the suggestion of having a second team would have, uh, you know, my dad would have put me up for adoption. But my mum's a, a St Kilda fan and, and comes from a St Kilda family. So all of my mum's side of the, the family back for the Saints. So on the rare occasion growing up that Essendon was out of the finals and the Saints were still going, I, I guess I kind of, um, you know, followed them a little bit. Um, but yeah, that that comes from my great-grandfather, my mum's grandfather, Hugh Calhoun, who played two games for the Saints um, just ahead of what, so I was a 19-year-old um, before he got shipped off to Gallipoli at World War One, And unfortunately for Hugh, he came back um, like a lot of people did a pretty, well, Fortunately for him, he came back, but but unfortunately for him, he came back um, pretty warped and banged up from the war, and um, he, he played some VFA footy as it was back then with Paran, but but never managed to make it back to VFL level. So, um, so yeah, I, I think Saints have just you know there's there's another side of my family that exists outside of Essendon, and um, and yeah, it's it's been the Saints for me. So yeah. Very very good, and yeah, it's always good to hear about you know people's connections and and the like, even if it's used to other clubs. But let's get on to selection. And I think one of the things that Rutten said, sorry, one of the things that Rutten said in his press conferences, he was worried about our, our ball movement and our speed of ball movement. And you can see that with the selections this week. A bit of bit of a shock with a couple of the selections there. But in for Essendon is Andrew McGrath, back from injury, Braden Ham, and making his debut is Massimo D'Ambrosio, who I'm sure will be BT's new favourite player, new favourite obsession. Uh, and out goes uh, Parrish with his calf injury. Cutler and Reed omitted. Reed, obviously, very surprisingly. Then Waterman, who came on as the sub, uh, is out for the moment. Although he's in the he is in the uh, emergencies there, so he could come back as the sub there. What are your your initial thoughts? It doesn't seem like it's going to be a very uh, small team, but one with a lot more pace than than we've had in the previous weeks. Yeah, I mean ball movement. Um, and and speed is was an issue last week, wasn't it? So McGraham and and D'Ambrosio, tick 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 um, in all three of those areas. I mean McGrath was one that we have seen probably Redmond and and Hines been trying. I think the only other ones that have really put their ball under put the ball under their arm and tried to take on the game. So you know McGrath picks himself. Ham, I, I get why I, I get the need for outside run because uh, the saints do have a lot of it and and we need to be able to to get them on the outside um and you know he is a really good runner um you know whether whether he it, he's the right one or it could have been someone else i'm not too sure but um and then yeah it's exciting i think that that we've got a first gamer coming into the side who's got some spunk and got some flair about him um you know likes to run he's pretty cheeky and um, and he's a good kicker of the footy, so I think you know they make sense. The read one's a little bit confusing. I, I I can only imagine that we're gambling a bit on on Ryder not playing forward. He he's only he's he's spent a lot of time on the bench um, previous to last week, so he played you know seventy percent and sixty five percent game time. The two games prior, it was up last week, but it was up because they had injuries and were short on the bench, and he kind of had to play more game time. So. Um, and, you know, six-day break, probably expect that he might be a bit fatigued as well. So I, I wonder whether that's a bit of a gamble that, that they're taking on there um, in in the way they've gone about that one. Yeah, and I think, you know, other than the ones that have gone in and out, the one surprise probably given how impressive it was in the VFL last week is Stuart. I think there was probably talk of, you know, maybe Phillips going out, right, playing that second ruck well, which I actually think would benefit him given his current his current form issues you know even if you go back to his best game last year the the Bulldogs game he was he kicked seven goals but he was also playing second ruck that day so you know just because he's not constantly in the forward line doesn't mean he can't also be an effective forward uh but I just imagine that the the thought of of Marshall and Ryder they want to have two you know first string rucks there as opposed to running with Ryder as the second option yeah, I think so. And, you know, if you look at the team that they've selected too, they've added, you know, they've already got a fair bit of run in their side. Um, they've dropped Lineart, who's, you know, 195 centimetre uh, player. And they've brought in Hunter Clark, who's a sort of mid-sized defender, but a good runner. Jack Billings, who's a good runner. Wanganee Malira, who's obviously a good runner. And Ryan Barnes, who's um, you know, hasn't played a lot of footy, I think, um, 
think four of his games this year or five of his games this year, he's been the unused sub. Uh, he's been on their list for a few years, but he has got pace and he is a good runner. So they're, they're a side that already had a fair bit of run about them and they've added more in through selection as well. So um, if we can manage to, to to structure our defense to combat their you know, their tools, then I think we're, we're very much going to need the running power of the three guys we've brought in. Yeah, so we'll obviously see how that plays out. But let's let's look at what the Saints have done this year. So obviously they had a, a down year last year, kind of like what we are having this year off the back of a final. They, they won a final in 2020, uh, but they've, they've bounced back uh, this year uh, and doing quite well. Actually, I actually rate them higher than the team we played last week in Carlton, um, particularly based on, on who they've played. So they, they've beat Freo away, which given their form this year is no mean feat. Uh, obviously, they've beaten the Tigers as well. Hawks, Suns, again, that's not an easy beat these days. Giants, uh, win over Geelong, again, which is very impressive, and then wins over Adelaide and North. They've lost to Collingwood. They lost to Port, but I don't count that game because when are you ever going to play a game in those conditions You know, at the at the serious end of the season? Certainly the, not going to play it tomorrow night at Marvel with the roof closed. No, absolutely. Um, and then losses to, you know, top two sides in, in Melbourne and Brisbane. So, you know, I think really good form line from them. There's no real standout uh, loss there that makes you go, well, maybe they're not the real deal. I think I think they're, they're definitely a top six side this year. In terms of what's changed since 2021, they've become 5% more efficient going inside 50. So they were 45% efficiency in 21 compared to based on basically on 50 now. Uh, able, and through that, they're able to generate two more scoring shots a game. So it doesn't take much to to change a club's fortunes around, you know, simply simply two more scoring shots a game and you are able to... Oh, sorry, so, and that, that includes one and a half goals a game more. So a bit more efficiency going forward and a bit more accuracy and you can, you can change the form line of a club around. Uh, another thing that sort of leads to what you were saying about their run, they're actually bouncing the ball a lot more. They're 7.3 bounces a game compared to 5.6. So again, they're, they're really using that free-flowing style that we were talking about with their runners. They've got the third best, and even with that, you know, that free-flowing style, they've still got the third best defense in the league. Um, and they're really good at restricting opponents' clearances, and that's going to be a big thing for us with our, our center clearances. If they their 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 goal will probably be to stop our any center clearance dominance from us, and they'll feel that if they can stop our center clearance dominance, then they're taking away our biggest weapon and, and opportunity to win the game. So if they they continue at that level, uh, then they are going to. You, be a good chance of being successful. Uh, what are your th- thoughts? You've watched a couple of the games. You watched the Brisbane game and then also their win over Geelong. Yeah, I did. I, I, I watched a fair bit of the game against Brisbane live and then um, went back and watched it again during the week and um, went back to the Geelong game in round nine because they beat the Crows and North Melbourne in between them, those two games. But, um, you know, that was sort of softer kills, I guess. So I wanted to see what they did well against the Cats to beat them. But I think the one that's really interesting for us in, in terms of how we might be able to go up against them is, is the Brisbane game last week. You know, Brisbane aren't an overly strong or tall midfield. Um, you know, in, in size and structure, they're not all that far removed from, from us. Obviously, they're a lot better side than we're going at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I think Brisbane did a really good job of taking them on at their own game. Um, and then they also uh, did something really well that we've done well over the last, you know, three weeks as well. So I'll, I'll touch on that on a sec. But both teams are really strong at the contest. Brisbane, a, a plus nine for contested ball, puts them third in the comp. And St Kilda, a plus eight, which puts them fourth in the comp. So it was always going to be uh, a bit of a, an arm wrestle in terms of who won the contest. But where St Kilda do have their ascendancy and balance on Brisbane and, and on us as well, um, is their ability to win uncontested possession and get the ball on the outside. They're plus 8.6, um, which puts them six in the AFL, whereas Brisbane are a sort of break-even side. Um, so St Kilda really did try and up their game in, in on the inside and take that away from Brisbane, something that they'll, as you mentioned, they'll try and do against us. Um, but Brisbane really did up their game on the outside in a quarter time. St Kilda were up by plus 13 at contested ball but Brisbane were plus 27 in uncontested possession. So they, they really were able to generate a lot of run and move the ball around. Um, St Kilda were up by a couple of goals at halftime. They had some luck. King got a couple of free kicks in the first quarter and kicked a goal. They had the, the first um, outside nine rush behind um, goal that I've seen in, in a long, long time. Um, but really, Brisbane dominated after halftime, and they did it because they were able to keep the ball in the forward half, really similar to, to what we've done against Port and Carlton. Um, they got that press up. They made 
maintained um, forward territory. They got repeat inside 50s and they were able to, to kick scores. And Brisbane won by a bit over three goals, three and a half goals. But they kicked seven goals to three after halftime and had 19 scoring shots to six. They really could have won by a lot more. But they the game changed because Brisbane were able to to keep um, forward pressure. Um, and I think if, if we can do what we did against Port and Carlton, albeit against a really good team, uh, and indoors at Marvel, I think we give ourselves a pretty good chance of, of being really competitive and, and getting a win in this game. Um, and for uh, multiple reasons, obviously, if you've got the ball in your own half, you're a better chance of scoring. But, but St Kilda are a forward half team themselves. They they like to to score from forward chains. They're ranked number one in the competition from scores from forward half chains. So so they're bits of play where the ball starts in their own forward half or they, they win the ball back. Um, so they almost two-thirds of their score comes out of forward half chains. Um, and they score 33 points a game from forward half intercepts. So they really are forward half pressure, intercept team, and generate scores that way. And then the other way they score is, is from stoppages, where they're third in the AFL um, in scoring from stoppages and, and plus 16 points a game. So I think they're the... They're the bits that we need to take away from them, be really hot on, on stoppages and, and really up our contested work and continue on what we've done the last couple of weeks and um, and continue that forward half pressure um, and, that, and that high press and, and, and try and lock the ball in our own forward half. And it does give me a little bit of confidence going into this game that... You know, I'm, I'm not making any bold predictions. I've learned my lesson from the, uh, the Swans game, but... We've bought, we've bought in some players that can run and carry and compete with them on the outside, and then we've we've displayed a, a game style over the last three weeks that can take away from um, St Kilda's main scoring avenues. Um, and we've also reduced the number of goals we've conceded from stoppage as well over that time too. So, um, so yeah, um, I, I think we've got some tools that that we can definitely deploy to to have an impact against the Saints. Excellent analysis there, and yeah, I think the, the selection sort of suggests what you what you were talking about there. The, the need to keep it in the forward in our forward half to deny the Saints their best opportunities uh, to score based based on that. So, building on that, then we we always finish with or we we round out the show with the match tactics and the things that we think Essendon need to do in order to be successful in this game. So, you've highlighted three key key like three sorry three key goals there for Essendon. You just want to go through those now and, and explain what you think needs to happen. Yeah, my, my plan on on the first one's going to change because of selection. But um, you know, the first point I made was that all roads, or at least a lot of them, lead to Max King. He's the number one targeted player inside fifty in the AFL. Um, the Saints go to him thirty eight percent of the time when they go inside fifty. Uh, Higgins is their second most at eighteen percent, and then Membry at fourteen percent. So we've got to get that match up right. I. I kind of thought it would have been Ridley or Reed. Um, without that, I'm, I'm not sure which way we'll go. Uh, maybe it is Laverde. He'll give away 10 centimetres, but I think he can worry him physically and he can use his body to to manoeuvre King. Um, so that might be the way that we go, but I think we just need to make sure that we get that match up right and that wherever we can, we're using an interceptor to, to get in front of him. And Heppel might be the one in that role this week, I think. I would imagine if Laverde does go to King, then it would leave Kelly to Membry. Um, you know, Membry's only 180, 80 plays taller than that, but I think Kelly can, can match it with him and that would leave Ridley on the resting ruck. Um, but, you know, Heppel's brave. He'll put his head over it. He'll go back in a hole and he is a good intercept marker. So I, I think he's probably the one that needs to... To, to get in front of King and, and help, whether it's Laverde or Ridley um, taking that match up, he, he needs to help out there. Um, I'd clamp down on Jack Sinclair. Um, I'd, I'd send Guelphie straight to him. I'd tell him not to leave his side and just really lock down on him. He's, he's number one at the Saints for metres gained, which is a stat that I'm, I'm not enamoured with, but I think it can be a bit of a furphy. But I think for halfbacks, it does tell a bit of a story, um, which rates him eighth in the AFL. He's 457 metres gain per game and their next best is is Brad Hill who's almost 150 behind him um you know Brad Hill's a dangerous player too but Jack Sinclair really is in good form and he's the one that's that's getting the job done for them um 
on a on a repeat basis. So just clamp on him and and at least take away one weapon. <clears throat> um, and then thirdly, uh, you know, we picked the team to do it with the three guys that we fought in. Let's just run and gun. Um, it's not crazy kamikaze style football that we saw under Matthew Knights, but counteract their forward press through through carry and spread. We're, we're probably not skillful enough at this stage to be able to kick our way out of it and kick mark. So instead, I think we're going to need to run, gun, overlap handball, run from behind and and really try and carry and, and, and run our way through it and try and give our forwards a chance. Yeah, I think, as you say, the selection sort of suggests that's that's the plan they're, they're going to use. And I think the one of those three, the one that really stands out to me is, is the Sinclair one. And given what Rutten said, and we sort of explored about Saad and Doherty, whether they adjust their plans, because, you know, that's the same similar sort of player that, that carved us up against Carlton. And, you know, they address, they address that. It's it's an issue that they didn't quite get right. And we'll see if they've made any tweaks to that. So moving on to our final, moving on to our final thoughts, and you know, I, I just put this in uh, a couple of minutes ago, so you haven't had a chance to think about it. Uh, obviously, I think the obvious answer to the question I'm about to ask is Draper. So I'm going to ask you not to not to pick him. Uh, so that's probably that's probably cost you there a bit of time. I'll give you a little bit more, a bit more time. But who do you think the Saints should most be worried about going to Friday night from an for from an Essendon player perspective? That's not Sam Draper. Well, you you specified player there. I was going to say the D'Ambrosio family because I, I based on the footage of draft night, I expect that there's going to be about fifteen thousand of them turn up and, and make a lot of noise. So, um, if we're specifying players, I think Stringer um, will be the one. Running second game back, you would hope um, that he's fitter, stronger, and and. and better prepared to, to have an impact this week. And, and also with a bit of a B in his bonnet and point to prove after um, Rutten acknowledging that he had a poor game last week in his press conference. So, yeah, I think he's the one that um, that is probably most set to have a big game. Um, they brought Hunter Clark back, who, who probably gets that match up. Um, and if that is the case, you know, his first game back for the season. So um, he's going to be a little bit underprepared as well. What Absolutely. about you, mate? Who's your call? Uh, I I actually think Sheila. I think he you know he had he had that really good game against against Carlton. You know, shot not only good offensively offensively but really good defensively. And one of the things that that's been said is that the rise of Parish has has cost Dylan Sheila a lot. Well, now he's not going to have Parish there taking his take, taking his minutes in in centre bounces. Dylan Shield's going to be the man. And as we said, uh, St Kilda are one of the best at stopping centre clearances or stopping teams at clearance. You know, so if Shield can have a big game and, you know, really show that centre clearance dominance that, that he's known for, uh, will go a long way to giving us an opportunity to win the game. Yeah, nice, mate. Good shout. Really good. I like it. Well, yeah, mate, thanks again for all your help and, and joining me tonight. It's been um, good to, to do this live again. Um, and, yeah, thanks to everyone who's who's listened in live and, um, and for the ongoing support and feedback. It's been... Lots and lots of fun. Yeah, excellent. And just a bit of a note, uh, obviously we had the pot only show last week, not the live show. Um, look, it was really, really good response in terms of in terms of downloads. So we're really pleased with that. I do note that we've got nine reviews or nine, nine five-star reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts so so far. So, you know, if you're listening to this on the, on the Apple Pod and want to make that number 10, that would be appreciated. But other than that, I uh, hope everyone has a, a great weekend and, and is enjoying a Bombers win. Uh, on Saturday morning. Go Dons. Cheers, mate. Go Dons.